it's so wonderful to be together with you all in this special session as we come together in these precious days leading up to International Day of Yoga. Our Honorable Prime Minister, Sri Narendra Modiji, had this beautiful vision of not only having an International Day of Yoga, but having it on the day that is the summer solstice, the day in which we have the most amount of light, the longest days, the greatest amount of sunlight. Why? Because yoga brings light to our lives. Yoga is that that brings the light to our lives. So as we begin, I offer my deepest gratitude and respect to him for having had this beautiful vision for International Day of Yoga, and also to all of the sages and the saints, the rishis, the yogis, due to whose sadhana, whose spiritual practice, whose tapas, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, has given us today the science of yoga, the art of yoga. From the Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, to the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, to the Bhagavad Gita, to so, so, so many other scriptures, what we realize is that yoga is not just what do I do with my body or what do I do with my breath, but yoga is actually a system and a science for life. As we talk today about the power of spirituality, of yoga, for total wellness, we have to ask ourselves, what do we even mean by wellness? Do we mean simply that we don't have a fever? Do we mean that we don't have an infection? Do we mean that we have six-pack abs? Do we mean that our glucose levels or our ketones levels are at a certain level, a certain number? What do we even mean? by wellness. And this is critical because we have to be clear of our goal in order to know the path to follow. Yoga, as we know, literally means, the Sanskrit word literally means union. So yoga is a path that brings us into union. On the highest spiritual level, it's a union of the self, jivatma, with the supreme reality, the divine, paramatma. But on other levels, on levels of our physical bodies, our energetic bodies, it's a union of us with balance, with alignment, all of the different aspects of us coming into alignment, whether it's 
the different parts of my body, my breath to my body, whether it's my mind to my muscles. Yoga is that that unites us. And my, my favorite, favorite story joke about the importance of this is about the guy who goes to the doctor. And he says to the doctor, there is something very wrong with me. Whatever I touch, it hurts. I touch my head and it hurts, and I touch my stomach, it hurts, and I touch my back, it hurts. So the doctor, of course, is confused because usually people come in with one complaint. But this guy, everything hurts. So the doctor runs every test and every scan and finally calls the guy back in. And he says, the good news is there's nothing wrong with your head or your back or your stomach. The bad news is your finger's broken. Because your finger is broken, whatever you touch, it hurts. Now, I love that joke because, sadly, that's actually how most of us live. And in our lives, of course, it's not a joke. The joke just shows us the, the silliness, the tragic comedy or, tr or comedic tragedy of our lives. Our lives hurt. Wherever we go, we're suffering. We suffer depression. We suffer anxiety. We suffer restlessness. We suffer frustration. We suffer resentment. We suffer guilt, shame. We suffer unfulfilled expectations. We suffer so much. We then turn quite frequently to things to alleviate that suffering. Drugs, alcohol, food, promiscuous sex, Facebook, shopping, whatever it may be. But we turn to things that we think will alleviate the suffering. Of course, they don't. And they end up just bringing us into more suffering. But that suffering, the root of that suffering, is because we are disconnected. Like the guy with the broken finger. Whatever he touches, well, it's going to hurt. Not because there's a problem with his nose or his ears or his neck or his shoulder, but because the finger is broken. Because that mechanism through which he is touching itself is broken. And in our lives, when internally we are disconnected, broken, from that connection with our truth, with the truth of who we are, which is divinity, when we are disconnected from that, things hurt. Because then we are relying on what I'm going to buy, what I'm going to attain, what I'm going to achieve, what I'm going to acquire. We rely on that to help bring us what we think will be the happiness, the peace that we're looking for. If I only could just buy these things, achieve this, have that, then I would be happy. But of course, it isn't out there. But the reason that I feel like I am lacking is because I've got 
this broken connection. <coughs> so yoga is that which reconnects us. But we have to ask ourselves, what am I looking for? Because if I only go into yoga looking for losing weight or looking for a good figure or looking to define my biceps and my triceps, well, yoga will give you that. But you miss everything else. If I walk into a grocery store looking for a TV, well, I'm going to miss all of the great nourishing, nurturing possibilities that the grocery store actually has for me. Because my eyes are focused on, I need a TV set. I need a TV set. And in the same way, if I'm focused on only the ratio of my bust to my waist to my hips, I'm going to miss the power of what yoga actually offers me. And that's why as we dive into a path of yoga, we have to realize, what am I looking for? And that's why I began by saying, what do we even mean by wellness? Is it more than my levels of ketones? Is it more than my six-pack abs? Is it more than my weight? Is it more than my glucose levels? Is it more than my complexion in the mirror? What am I looking for? Because there's a lot of people in the world who have great physiques but need to take pills to go to sleep at night, need to take antidepressants to drag themselves out of bed in the morning, need to have a few shots of something at the end of the day in order to feel calm and peaceful. People who are most definitely not living in balance. We are at a point in history where we've eradicated almost all of that which ailed us 100 years ago. If you look at what people were dying of about 100 years ago, it was things caused by rats, mosquitoes, bad water, through sanitation, through hygiene, through antibiotics, through science, through vaccinations and immunizations. We've gotten to a point today where almost all of that which killed us 100 years ago is no longer something anybody even thinks about. Who thinks about the plague to be caused by rats? Who thinks about smallpox? Who thinks about polio? We've eradicated so much of that. We're on the verge of, by God's grace, hopefully even eradicating things like malaria. But in most of the world, in the Western world, people don't think about that. They still exist only in a few parts of the world. And yet, as we eradicate more and more of that which is caused by bad water, bad food, mosquitoes, rats, we're still suffering and dying just as much. But we're now suffering and dying from diseases of a system that has gone awry, a system that is out of balance. 
what we call lifestyle diseases, heart disease, cancer, autoimmune diseases, diseases in which the system is not in balance, is not in alignment, doesn't recognize itself, starts to attack itself. Yoga, in its fullness as a science, as an art, as a system for life, is the answer. It brings us back into alignment, body, mind, spirit, heart, but it also connects us not only to this aspect of me right here, but to me outside of myself or outside of what I identify as self because that is just as critical to my health and wellness. COVID showed us very well that in order for us to be healthy, we actually need everybody else to be healthy. Until and unless you are content to live within your four walls of your house, you actually need your community to be healthy in order for you to be healthy. Because the minute you step into that community, as we all saw with COVID, even if you step out of your house healthy, if your community is not healthy, it's only a very short period of time before you are also sick. So we realized in COVID what our sages and our saints and our rishis and our yogis have been telling us for thousands of years. We are interconnected. We are not separate. We are one. That which is happening to others, to our planet, is happening to ourself. Today, quantum physics is discovering the same thing that our yogis and rishis told us thousands of years ago. We are interconnected. Now, you may call it quantum entanglement. You may call it string theory in the semantics of science. Or you may simply call it oneness, interconnection in the language of spirituality. But I mention this today as we talk about wellness because when we look at what is happening with our planet, with our environment, with climate change, with our air, with our water, with our soil, we realize the critical necessity of protecting that planet in order for us to stay healthy. So for me to be healthy, I need my mind, my heart, my body to be healthy, but I also need my community to be healthy. And I also need my water supply to be healthy because if my water is polluted, the moment it goes in, no matter how much yoga I do, no matter how strong my muscles are, no matter anything, I'm going to get sick. We'll be back where we were 100 years ago. If the soil in which my food is being produced is toxic from the waste that's being dumped into it from factories and industries, well, then that food which is supposed to nourish and nurture me is actually going to end up harming me. 
doing pranayama is critical to good health, mental health, physical health. But if the air I am breathing, if the prawn I am taking in along with breathing in oxygen, if I'm breathing in toxic chemicals, well then that pranayama is actually going to end up harming me rather than helping me. So as we speak about this union of yoga with regard to wellness, we have to include our planet. And what that means is that my yoga isn't just what I do on the mat, that my yoga becomes that which I do off the mat in my life, which of course Patanjali ji told us, which of course Bhagwan Krishna told us so beautifully in the Bhagavad Gita, 700 verses of living yoga, whether through bhakti marg, through jnana marg, through karma marg, whatever yoga path we go through. It's 700 verses of living yoga. And Patanjali ji gave us the sutras but he also gave us very simply and very easily, simply yam and niyam, the very core foundation of Ashtanga Yoga. And if we simply take yam and niyam and actually implement them in our lives, not only will our personal experience within ourself, within our relationships, be healthier in balance, in alignment, but actually our entire world will become healthy and peaceful. This is why I always say that yoga is the answer to whatever the ailment is. Yoga is the medicine to whatever the ailment is. Whether we suffer from depression, anxiety, addiction, whether we're suffering conflict in our families, conflict in our communities, conflict between our nations in war, conflict with Mother Earth, manifesting as climate change, as environmental destruction, as loss of our planet's water, as pollution of our air, pollution of our soil. All of that has one answer, yoga. Because actually the core cause of all of those problems is one, the illusion of separation. If I feel separate from God, from the divine, from my higher, truer self, I suffer. I suffer depression, I suffer anxiety, turns to addiction. When I feel separate, from the fullness of myself, that divine fullness, that purnata, well then I'm going to fight and struggle with family members, with friends, with my spouse, because I need something from them in order to feel full. Then life becomes as I want it, when I want it, what I want. And when you don't give it to me, we fight. I need it because I'm feeling empty on the inside. I'm feeling not at peace on the inside. I'm feeling a lack in some way on the inside. 
that your words, your appreciation, your love, your actions will make me feel better. So when you don't do them, when you don't give me the respect or the love that I want, when you don't dance according to my tune, my peace is gone. In our communities, we feel separate from each other on the basis of race or religion or color or socioeconomic status, sexual orientation. Whatever basis it may be, there's so many lines that we divide ourselves on. And then we fight, us versus them. Nations fight, same way. We divide ourselves. This imaginary and invisible line is where my country ends and your country begins, us and them. We fight war. We harm Mother Earth because we feel separate, separate from the creator and separate from the creation. Those trees seem separate from me. The river seems separate from me. The indigenous populations seem separate from me. Children dying of hunger seem separate from me. I remember many years ago, Pooja Swamiji and I were traveling from Lisbon, Portugal to Tenerife in Spain. And our flight was going via Madrid. There had been a huge span airplane crash at the Madrid airport. And so everything was delayed, of course. By the time we got to Tenerife, Everybody there was shell-shocked from the plane crash. About 150 people had died. And when we got there, everybody asked, can we please have a puja? Can we have prayers for the departed souls? And it was beautiful. I was so touched and appreciative by their love and compassion. And we asked people, did you know anyone who died on the plane? Everyone said no. And yet, day after day, we were in Tenerife three or four days. Day after day, everybody kept saying, can we have prayers? Can we have puja? And I thought, you know, this is amazing. Because 150 people died in that plane crash. And yes, of course, we should pray for them. Beautiful. And yet, tens of thousands of children are dying of starvation every day, every day. Almost a billion people are sleeping hungry every night. Women are dying in childbirth across the world. But I've never been to any program, any event, any place where somebody says, could we please begin with prayers and puja for the thousands of children who died of hunger today? Could we please begin with prayers and puja for the women who died in childbirth today? Why? Because the people who died on that airplane crash could have been us, right? All the people in Tenerife, they fly Span Air, they travel via Madrid, could have been us, could have been our loved ones. Those people seem like us. People dying of hunger, well, that's not us. That's not something we have to worry about. Women dying in childbirth, that's not something we have to worry about. 
Those are them. So we don't think about them. And in our illusion of separation, we allow them to suffer. Yoga, spirituality is the awareness. There is no us, there is no them. It's all us. We are one. This is the beauty of the G20 theme this year of Vasudev Kutumbaka. That's yoga. Oneness. The world is a family. And so if we're going to live yoga and live spirituality for total wellness, we have to make sure that our planet is taken care of, that our planet is healthy. And here's what's the bonus in it. It actually helps your health. And it actually keeps you, even just the little you, even just the physical you, so much healthier, so much happier. There's been so much scientific research on the role that spirituality plays in our own physical health. Not only does it make us greater assets to the planet, not only does it make us those who tread lightly so that we keep our air and our water and our soil clean. Not only does it fill us with that compassion to take care of the children who are dying of hunger, but it actually takes care of our own health. Duke University did a great study where when patients came in having suffered a heart attack at their hospital, Upon intake, they asked the patients one additional question. And the question was, how spiritual or religious are you? Three options, very religious, not religious at all, or somewhat religious. Within six months of their first heart attack, about 11% of those who had checked not religious at all had a second fatal heart attack. Now it turns out that's actually very standard. Approximately 10 to 13% of people suffer a second fatal heart attack within six months of the first. But those who had checked very spiritual, very religious, guess what percent of them had a second fatal heart attack within those six months? Zero. Zero. Everything else the same. The only difference being very religious or spiritual, not at all. Johns Hopkins University did a study with over 90,000 participants. And they found that regular attendance at a place of worship, a holy place, a mandir, a gurdwara, a synagogue, a church, a mosque. It didn't matter what your religion was. But weekly attendance, people who actually went to their place of worship once a week, had a 50% less chance of dying of any cause during the course of the study. 90,000 people. Now you tell me. 
Are we giving out multivitamins as prashad? No. Is the air in our temples or gurdwaras filled somehow with some kind of specialness that immunizes us against illness and disease? No. In fact, very frequently the prashad we get on our way out is some kind of, you know, greasy halva or something, some kind of sweet. It's not that we're giving out organic fruits and vegetables. So what is it? How is it that simply going to a place of worship at least once a week gives you a 50% less chance of dying from any cause during the course of that study? That is the power of spirituality. It's the power of that divine connection that changes how we think, how we feel, and therefore how the very cells of our body operate. It actually changes the immunity, the strength, the robustness, the health of our bodies. So our spiritual practice, our yogic practice, is that which gives us that health, yes, in the body, and also beyond the body. One other scientific example that I'll give you that I love, because for most of us, our practice of spirituality, our practice of yoga, we understand it's not just about an asana. It's not just about standing on our heads. It's not just about touching our fingers to our toes. But it's actually a process of the mind. It's a process of how we think. Now, sometimes people who become very scientific, they say, oh, that doesn't work. That's all in your mind. But I'm here to tell you that yeah, it's all in the mind, and the mind is actually what works. Today's science is backing up, discovering exactly what the yogis and rishis have been telling us. One example I'll give you. People who have had a limb amputated, an arm, a leg, between 60 and 80% of them have pain in the limb that has been amputated. Now, how is it possible to have pain in my arm if my arm has actually been amputated, right? If I say to you, oh, my arm hurts, well, where's the pain? In my arm. But if there is no arm, where's the pain? In the mind. But 60 to 80% of people who have had a limb amputated have that pain. And what's amazing, the cure to that pain, no painkillers, no medicine works, because of course there's no actual arm that's there in pain. But you know what works? A trick that they do with boxes and mirrors that actually convinces the brain that that limb that no longer exists is there and it gets healed. Through just a sleight of hand, 
an illusion with mirrors, a trick on the mind, actually makes the pain in the arm or the leg go away. So yeah, it's in the mind. But the mind is the steering wheel for our lives. That's why in our scriptures we're taught, man eva manushya nam karanam bandha mokshayo. The mind is the key to bondage or freedom, to health and wellness or illness. It's all in the mind. So in this beautiful lead up to International Yoga Day, make a commitment to working with your mind for yourself and for your greater self. Meditate. Pray. Not pray for something you want, but pray in gratitude. Prayer is not about bargaining with God. A lot of us think that, oh, I'm going to pray to God for this or for that. Prayer doesn't turn us into beggars. Prayer should turn us into those who are so grateful to the divine. Let our prayer be thank you, God. So practice of meditation, practice of gratitude. Thank God for all the things that you are grateful for. Simply that practice of thinking of them will actually change your mind. And lastly, there's so many, but just for now, one more, which is what I call a shift from the Hollywood way of thinking to the Himalayan way of thinking. It's the journey that my life has taken from Hollywood to the Himalayas. But it's a journey of our mindset. The Hollywood way of thinking says you are your bodies. What it looks like, its size, its shape, its color, its race, its religion, its bank account. And so you suffer. Competition jealousy, depression, low self-esteem, not enoughness. The Himalayan way of thinking says you have a body, but you're not the body. You are the soul. You are the spirit. You are one with all. And so we protect our body. We keep it healthy. We do yoga. But we don't identify as it. And in that mindset shift, we end suffering. And if we can change simply those things in our mind, simply bring those three very, very, very simple practices into our lives, and of course, of course it goes without saying, make the foundation of our life yoga. Not just the asanas, of course. The foundation of our life should be yam and niyam. The foundation of our life can be the Bhagavad Gita and the teachings. Again, these are, these are for any religion. I'm not saying that you have to change your religion or worship God by a particular name or form. These teachings are universal. 
There's nowhere in the Bhagavad Gita. There's nowhere in the Yoga Sutras. There's nowhere that it says, thou shalt worship God only by this name, only by that way, only in this way. It doesn't say anywhere. In fact, the teaching is the opposite. God is infinite. God is in all. The divine appears to the devotee in whatever way the devotee worships. So let that foundation of your life, whatever your religion may be, whatever your spiritual path may be, let that foundation of your life really be how you live with yourself and the world through yam and niyam. And then how that yoga becomes your path to the truest form of wellness, which is wholeness and oneness, that samadhi, through all of the beautiful paths that Bhagwan Krishna has given us, through all of the different paths that our yogis and rishis have given us. When we have that, then we have not only health, not only wellness in the body, but we have the full wholeness of ourself. And if we can do that, then the light of yoga will not only shine upon us, but will actually emanate from us onto the world for all. I'm so grateful to the Indian Yoga Association for this beautiful opportunity to address you all and be with you all today. Let us remember, do yoga, live yoga, be yoga, and share yoga with all. It is the answer to everything that ails us and our planet today.